0: All right, let's do this new episode of Fans on the Run. First one in a while. All right, let's get this. Uh, let's get this show on the road. Nope, nope, nope. There's a new one. Nope, forgot about that. Forgot. And there we go. Got it. This is Fans on the Run, a podcast made by, for, and about users.
1: And now, here's your host, E.V.
0: All Alright, hello, 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 hello! Welcome back to Fans on the Run. Ah, man, it's been a while. Missed me? Yeah, this is the first episode back after my uh, extended hiatus where I, I basically just did nothing. Uh, it's John Lennon had his uh, bed in for peace. I had my bed in for nothing and it lasted about a month. But, you know, uh, enough of my delusional ramblings, even though I'm sure you miss them. Uh, if enough people want me to do delusional ramblings, I'll do an episode of just that. But that's besides the point. We have a fantastic guest for you today. Uh, Would you say so? I'd say so. (laughs) She was an apple scruff before they were called apple scruffs. She appeared on a Beatle record, and she's the author of a book called From Rio to Abbey Road. Uh, Well, technically the title's in Portuguese, and I didn't want to offend anyone with my terrible Portuguese. Um, But either way, an English translation's coming in the near future, so I can just call it From Rio to Abbey Road. But that's besides the point. Lizzie Bravo, welcome to Fans on the Run.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: I, I'm doing great. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm good. Beautiful, sunny day. You know, um, the next thing after, after my building is the Christ statue. So I, I see it all the time. Oh, that, that's
0: got to be a great view.
1: It is fantastic. It is beautiful. Yeah.
0: And and for once I can actually match you and say it's a bright sunny day here too. Oh, good. For, good. First sunny day after a week of yeah. bitter cold. Oh no, we don't have cold here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm Canadian, so
1: what do you yeah. expect? Yeah. I've been to Canada several times, so... Yeah. But never in the winter, thank God. So, um one one of the
0: first things i i want to ask you and i i kind of mentioned it before we we started is um i am only really familiar with like the Beatle fan community in for for lack of a better term the english speaking world like america europe that kind of thing um mm-hmm. what what what's the situation uh like down there in in south america beatle wise
1: Well, I can only speak for Brazil, which is where I live. But I've been, well, I've talked about that a little. In Brazil, the Beatles were always big from when they started, when we first uh, heard about them. And there's been, it it just grows and grows and grows. There's many, many, many fans everywhere. Um, Paul has been here many times and his concerts always sell out within... Couple of days, and, and and they're always like huge venues, um, fifty thousand people, and like that. And uh, people, people stay out all night so they can get a better view. Because the, the front tickets, though they are the most expensive, uh, they're standing room only. So, okay. so you you know you need to sleep overnight online on you know on the queue so you can get a good spot. Um, I imagine for but, some people know, it's like
0: waiting several days.
1: I know, yeah. The, there's the, I know, I know some some girls who who camp out in tents, you know, and and they stay there for days. But not me, thank you very much. Um, I,
0: I think that just says something about the Beatles' popularity, that we're not even talking about huge, the Beatles huge. back in 1964. We're talking about, like, present-day Paul McCartney. He can yeah. have people camping out overnight
1: yeah and people and people go like like people buy tickets to like if he does five different cities people will look follow him you know buy tickets and and uh, several of my friends buy those fifteen fifteen hundred dollar tickets you know vip tickets and they you know they have all these privileges and all that and um anyway people are crazy they buy everything they buy all the books and all the records and everything and They're just huge, huge. It gets, it it seems to to grow uh, year after year. Uh, You know, there's uh, a lot of Facebook groups, tons of them. Um, Anyway, just uh, yeah, just a lot, a lot of people. Well, and the young, the younger generations just you know get it from their parents or relatives, and you know, and uh,
0: so the young, the young people are crazy about Beatles too.
1: Sure.
0: That's just amazing. Well, you mentioned books, and I—I I know you have one. Uh, unfortunately, some of us can't read it because it's in a—it's in another language. Portuguese. It's yeah. in Portuguese.
1: Yes, it's in Portuguese. I did it. I released the book five years ago. It's a—it's uh, a totally independent production. Um, it's a three hundred page hardcover book in coated paper has just over 200 unpublished photos taken by me and some of my friends and it just tells my story through my teenage diaries i've seen them almost every day and um and you know there's you know all my autographs and all kinds of um all kinds of different um so, you know, I, so I released uh, the book in December of 2015 and um, I sell it myself. You know, it doesn't sell in bookstores. Um, and uh, then it sold out in 2017 and I should have released a second, you know, printing right there and then. But, um, you know, we, my brother and I were caring for our mother. She was getting sicker. Mm-hmm and she had, you know, she got Alzheimer's, and so I was, um, you know, my my head was somewhere else at that point, but now in the, in the beginning of last year, I had another thousand books printed, and, but I had them printed in Paraguay, Um, as I was telling you before, I've been to Paraguay twice, I have very good friends there, and uh, I printed it at this very, very uh, modern uh, printing facility there, and the result, the quality of the printing is just superb. But the books got ready in March, and they the, the roads were closed, so I had a thousand books in in Paraguay, um, which I couldn't see. Yeah. the The first one I saw, the first batch they sent me was in December, it, and it took uh, that and, long. Yeah, that's when they opened the the roads, and I could see, I could get the first one hundred books, and now they sent me. Last month, they sent me 80 books, which are almost finished now. And I'm going to get, you know, small installments of books along the way until I'm done with a thousand books. And I have translated it to English. It has been corrected by a friend of mine in London who is not only a writer for the BBC, but he used to wait outside the studios with me. So um, he has the experience of being there. And also he has a chapter he and another friend has a chapter in my book where he they tell their story of seeing the boys and and some great great black and white photos also totally unpublished that they shared with me and um there's another chapter of another friend of mine who um borrowed my camera to go inside he was he was uh interviewing john in 67 and when I realized he didn't have a camera, I let him use mine, and so that's another chapter. That's this whole story and some great, great pictures of inside of Paul's house and with John and Paul and Mick Jagger who was there at the time. Oh, Mick Jagger and, was there uh, too. Yeah, Mick, <laughs> Mick used to come around to visit Paul. You know, I saw him there several times, and I saw the Stones also at EMI. You know, I saw I I got to see Brian Jones coming out of the studios with them late at night um but anyway uh the book is uh again an independent production it, it will be an independent production the the english version we're going to start putting it my designer it's going to start putting together the book at the end of april beginning of may and then when when it's done because you have to realize that the portuguese language has a lot more characters than english so and my book is uh, uh, you know, you're reading a diary an entry and beside that diary entry, there's the autograph I got that day and the picture I took that day. Mm-hmm. So she has to be very careful to, you know, it's it's going to be it's not going to be an easy job, you know, to to maintain the, you know, the the same way it's in Portuguese, where you're reading something and the image is right beside it. But it'll be well worth so, it. Oh, yeah. it's Well, you know, I mean, I know it's my book, but I get so many compliments on it. Uh, that you know i know it's beautiful and i know it's unique there's there's no other book um that i know of of somebody talking about that period of time and what it was like to wait for them and you know in different situations outside the studios outside paul's house outside the editing studios and you know all kinds of uh, situations that happened while you were waiting so i don't think there is uh, another book like mine and you have to be a little—you have to be a little crazy to share your teenage diaries with people because, obviously, it was uh, well, you have to realize that being fifteen in nineteen sixty-seven is is sort of like being eight nowadays. Yeah. Uh, because we were very very young, at fifteen. A fifteen-year-old today is a woman. You know, we were kids. But um, but you know, I didn't I didn't edit.
0: Speaking as a teenager myself, I'm not sure I'd want people to read my diaries.
1: Yeah, what most people tell me is that um, when they read my book, they feel like they were there with me. And that's exactly what I wanted. I wanted people to, um, first of all, I didn't want to, it took me many years to put together a book because I didn't know how to present the story. And, um, and I, it, it, it suddenly dawned on me that it would be much more interesting for the 15-year-old girl to tell the story then for the you know i'm almost 70 now i'll be 70 in a couple of months it would be it's much more interesting for the teenager to tell the story than for you know the grandmother to tell the story so so that's it took very long it took a very long time to decide how to present the story and and all of that and you know i sold a lot of books to non-english speaking people over 200 books to non even now, I just sent one to Norway. I sent like seven or eight to Italy. I sent and one to England yesterday, and I have another one going to to the U.S. So you know, people, even though they can't read Portuguese, they still with, buy with it.
0: With all I've heard about, but your, hopefully
1: by the end of with the all year, all I've it,
0: heard about your book, I I want to learn Portuguese now just to read it. <laughs>
1: I know. I know one one person wrote me and said, Lizzie, I've already memorized all the photos. Now I need you to to put out the English version so I can read, you know, what happened. And, you know, so it, 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 it is taking a long time. But, you, you know, you have to realize that when you're doing everything yourself and, you know, it, it's different. You know, when you have a big publishing company behind you, I imagine it's different. But when when you're doing... I mean, I do everything from buying the bubble wrap to you know printing the labels and wrapping each and every book and taking them to the post i go to the post office every monday and take the pile of books and and mail them and you know i i like that i like that you know it gives me like a proximity to my reader you it's know? a very
0: personal because, thing
1: yeah yeah uh, it's personal. I know if I, if I sold in bookstores, it would probably sell, um, faster and more, but at the same time, you know, I don't know about the other countries, but over here, the, the big, um, chains, they want to give you 50% of the cover price and they pay you like six months, you know, after. And, um, it just didn't seem like a, a very good idea. And also, you know, in that case, I couldn't, I I sign every book to the person's name, and if they were in bookstores, people couldn't get them signed. Um, I don't know, it just seems like a more personal uh, situation. I don't know, but when the English book is out, it might be a little more difficult because I will be selling to the whole world, you know, Um, not just to the Portuguese-speaking people. So it might get a little complicated, but I'll figure it out when it happens if I need to hire somebody to help me. Or, well,
0: when the no. English book comes out, I'll so, be one of the first people to buy it. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm looking forward so, to it.
0: Yeah, you, very. You talk so. a little bit about, um, you know, the books about your Beatles story. I'd like to ask you a little bit about how your Beatles story started. How did you first discover the Beatles?
1: Well, I discovered the Beatles here in Brazil in early 1964 when they started to get more attention the press started to talk about them more and um and then i met several people that also liked them and um, the first time i saw them moving uh, it was at a, a small documentary that was called the beatles oh, yes. come to town and they showed that before the feature film uh, which meant that me and my friends we used to stay in this movie theater all day long so we saw the documentary and then we saw the the movie and then we saw the documentary again and then we saw the movie and um and they would show it on on different movies one of them was um a movie with elizabeth taylor and which was actually a really good movie but I, i saw it so many times and then there was a peter sellers very funny movie that um that I also saw many times because I wanted to see them. Because you have to realize we there was hardly ever uh, there was hardly anything here on TV um about you know with them. So that's the only way we could see them move. Otherwise we could just have like a photo in a magazine or a newspaper. And then when a hard day's night came out, we used to watch it. We used to come into a theater at two o'clock and leave at ten at night. And somebody's parent would come and Pick us up and drop everybody at their home, and we would stay there all day <laughs> watching that movie. I saw that movie over 100 a hundred times? times. Yeah, both films. Both. How do you help. I have it written down somewhere. You know how many times of it. Um, I'm pretty sure I, I, I hit the the hundred uh, time mark because that's the only way we could see the movie. Is when, watching when the those, movie
0: when those films came out in in Brazil? Were they? Dubbed in Portuguese or was it English?
1: No, no, no. It was in English with okay. subtitles.
0: So you got to hear the Beatles' actual voices too. Of course, I would.
1: I would hate it if they they had subtitles. God, that would it's have like been like you awesome. get
0: all excited, you go there to see and hear the Beatles, and then some Brazilian actor is dubbing Paul McCartney. Yeah.
1: No that that would not be that would not be okay with us. But um, yeah, we saw and and you know it was like a big event. You, everybody meets at the theater and you know we hide in the bathroom so we don't have to pay another ticket. Things like that, you know, things you do when you're fourteen years old and you know oh, thirteen and that, fourteen that's years smart. old. <laughs> um, yeah. What was
0: what was the first Beatle album or? Back, back then, were you buying mainly like albums or singles or EPs? Or,
1: you know, the first uh, my father used to travel a lot and, um, and he for you know for his business and he brought me all the Beatles, everything. Actually, um, my dad passed away, it was a year ago this week on the 18th, but even when he was like in his 80s, he was still every time he traveled, he would bring me something about the Beatles, a book or a t-shirt, or whatever, you know. He always bought me everything he saw about the Beatles. And he bought me uh, the... I never know if it's with the Beatles. I don't remember if with the Beatles is the American one or meet the Beatles. The one I got is the American album. Um, Meet the Beatles. Okay, with the Beatles is the British one, right? Okay, so I got that album. But I have to say, I got a Chubby Checker album at the same time. And I paid more attention to the Chubby Checker album with who I already knew. Uh, and then, then I got, you know, into the Beatle album, listening to the Beatle album and I loved it and all that. Um, and then when Hardy's Night came, then I was already totally hooked when, when Hard Day's Night came and, you know, we have, we, we formed a big, big group of people. Some of these people are my friends up to this day. I, I call us the dinosaurs, you know, because we, we're all in our 70s and we're still fans and we still trade pictures and we still send each other. We have a small WhatsApp group and we send each other links for videos and things. So we still had it at in our Once 70s. Once a Beatles fan, always
0: a Beatles fan. Um,
1: oh, yeah, sure, sure. And so, you know, so um, and then when in, in late 1966, when they decided that we're not going to tour anymore, My best friend Denise um, and I, we just freaked out. We said, you know, they're not going to come here. We're not going to see them ever. We have to do something. So she decided to, she, she got this idea, you know, we have to go to London. We had just turned 15, both of us. And in Brazil at that time, when you turn 15, you either had a party to present you to society, you know, like... At, the, at a club or something like that, um, or you went to Europe, but but you went to Europe with you know with a tour guide, or you know yeah. on to like, you know London, Paris, Rome, and you know the, but we want our tour. We wanted our tour without a guide and just London, and we convinced our parents. I still don't understand how we did that, but of course our parents thought that we were just going to be there for the hol- uh, school holidays. And come back home, which Denise did. But no, you I didn't. Stayed. I stayed. <laughs> yeah. I arrived. Denise Denise went like about a month, three weeks to a month before me. Because dad was away on one of his trips. And he had to sign for me to travel alone. So um, when, when I got there, she already knew everything. She knew where they lived. She knew where they recorded, at what time. She had made several friends. So I got there on February fourteenth, nineteen sixty-seven, and we dropped our suit- my suitcases—at the hostel, and went straight to E.M.I. because she had seen them going in to record *Sgt. Pepper*. Mm-hmm. They were recording, and uh, so I saw the four Beatles and Brian Epstein and Mal Evans the day really? I arrived—the very day. What a way yes. to welcome you to London! <laughs> it was just—I I know it was crazy. And um, the first beetle I saw was my favorite, always John. And, um, it, you know, we were sitting there in the middle of the stairs. It was late. And we had our bags and things on the floor. And then suddenly somebody says, excuse me. And Denise turned around and she said to me, it's him. And I thought to myself, him who? You know, and, and then I got up and I faced John. And, uh, you know. Denise says that I spoke to him, he spoke to me, Um, maybe he shook my hand, I don't know, but I just, after looking into his eyes, my mind went blank, I don't remember anything, I didn't remember anything when I got to the hostel, let alone now, you know, 50 something years later, I just, you know, it was too much, can you imagine, one day you're in your house with your parents, and the next day you're looking at your favorite beetle, you know, I didn't have time, she wouldn't let me shower and change. I I was wearing the same outfit that I I had on the plane. I can't imagine how to process that.
0: It's going from camping out in a movie theater to see the same little documentary of the Beatles to being within inches of John
1: Lennon. It was crazy, Uh, believe me. What a time to move. And then, then, I know our timing, without knowing, we didn't know they were recording. We didn't know anything. Um, uh, our timing was perfect, and that day, uh, John came out with Ringo, and, um, and then when he left, when they left, I started crying, and Denise said to me, you, you know, go away, Paul's going to come out, I don't want him to see you crying like that, and I said, okay, so I went to the other side, and Mal Evans came over, and he, he put his arm around me and said, why are you crying, what's wrong? And I said, Oh, you know, I'm six, I'm 15, I'm from Brazil, I just arrived today, and I just saw John and I like him so much. And he said, um, Don't cry, John's gonna be here tomorrow, you'll see him again. And he gave me a Kit Kat. <laughs> so, my excuse for being addicted to Kit Kats to this day is that, of course, I associate Kit Kats with a very happy memory, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, that's, I'm sticking, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. You
0: know? the, the important so, question is, do you um, still have a wrapper?
1: Yes, of course. Of course. And it's in my book. <laughs> um, yes, I have it. I that, have that's it. actually really
0: nice to hear. So, you, it you know, it so, reaffirms all the stories I've heard about Mal Evans just being a great guy.
1: Yeah, he was he was a good guy. Really. Um, so you know, I um, I started going. Then later on, George and Paul came out. And actually, there's a beautiful picture of Paul from that night. Denise took a picture of John as as I was looking at him. I'm not in the picture, but that's exactly what I was seeing. You know, seeing him for the first time. And then on the next page in my book, there's a picture of Paul that she took. That's really really nice too. And it's that's the first time I ever saw him. Um, and then I started going there every day and, you know, you tell a 15 year old Beatles fan that there's a place where she can see all four Beatles and where else is she going to be? You know, that's, uh, you know, so I, we used to go there every day. Then Denise went back, came back to Brazil to go back to school. And then my father called me and, uh, you have to realize that making a phone call at those days was not like today. You know, you had to call the operator and request a call and. You know, it was uh, a little more complicated. And my dad said, you know, you have to book your ticket to come home because you need, you know, school's going to start. And your mother needs to, you know, buy your school uh, books and, you know, get you ready for school. And I said, well, I'm not coming back. And he said, what do you mean you're not coming back? I said, I'm not coming back. And he said, well, I'm not going to send you any money. And I said, doesn't matter. I got a job. And... uh, I got a job through a friend at a, uh, you know, a really shady hotel. Um, and, uh, we, we lived in the hotel in the basement in this little room, the two of us. And every time the subway, the tube passed by, everything would shake. You know? Um, and, uh, and I, and my mother said, you've never made a bed in your life. And I said, I know. Now I'm going to make a lot of beds every day. <laughs> so, Because we had, you know, we had a very comfortable life. We had, we were served by maids and, you know, I'd lived uh, in Venezuela, Caracas, Venezuela for eight years from age three onwards. And so that's why I speak uh, fluent Spanish as well, um, because I learned to read and write in Spanish. So, um, so, you know, then um, when my mother found out that I I was going to work in a strange hotel, (laughs) Um She was upset, and and I said to them, "Don't even bother coming to to look for me, because you're not going to find me." And that's you know that was it. You <laughs> know, I didn't come, I didn't come when, home.
0: When you lived so, in London, were were the Beatles the only only pop stars you tried to find, or you know, did you?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I I only had eyes for for them. But I I did see. I I went to a lot of concerts. You know, I, I saw Jimi Hendrix twice, who I, 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 I love to this day, and I was at that Jimi Hendrix Hendrix concert that he opened uh, playing Sergeant Pepper. I was you at that him concert. Saw the and, sure, twice. That is fantastic. And oh my god! And that that, that night, uh, Paul and Jane, George, Patty, and Cynthia were there. Ringo, and John were not there. And he opened. He he came on on the stage he was you know in the, in the middle of the stage by himself and he he played and sang sergeant pepper and, and then after that the rest of the band came on but but he 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 was a solo he was just him unfortunately there's no video of that moment there there's a video of him playing sergeant pepper but in another another day another situation not that one where's an <laughs> iphone when you need it right
0: that that's <laughs> got to be one of the most Iconic moments in rock history, and you were there.
1: Yes, I was. I was there. Um, I used to go. Uh, I went to a lot of concerts at that time. You know, a lot of concerts. I have all the. I, I have it in my diary, in my book. I, I saw many different bands, but I didn't follow any of them. I didn't know where they lived, or I didn't know where they recorded. They only had anything. eyes
0: for the Beatles. Were, sure. Were there any other concerts? <laughs> uh, like Make, that that stick out to you
1: i saw um i saw joe fucker at the the albert hall i saw donovan i saw t-rex when they were called tyrannosaurus rex um what did i see i saw blind faith and i saw i saw the hollies that are not at a concert at a tv concert I went to the BBC with a friend. She knew them and we, we saw them, uh, you know, at this, uh, Is this like TV top show pops or something. Um, no, I don't think it, I don't remember exactly. Um I know that we that after the filming we sat with them a, at a pub. And, um you know, I don't remember. You have to realize I, I I you know, I only saved in my memory and in my diary uh things about the Beatles um, you know, like, I'm sure that I saw James Taylor go in and out of Apple, but I don't remember. I'm sure that I must have seen many other uh, pop stars rec- that were recording at EMI at the time, but I don't remember. Oh, I didn't notice. It was, um, you know, a <laughs> one, you know, you know, you know, when when they have horses um, and, and they have this thing beside behind yeah. beside their eyes, I don't know what that's called. But that was me. <laughs> that was me regarding John Lennon. Um yeah, so you know, so you we were there all the time and and luckily they were recording almost every day, you know. And then that year 67 they did a lot of things, you know. There was the premiere of How on the War, which uh, which was my first tate, taste of Beatlemania because outside the studios it wasn't there was no screaming or or big crowds, you know. But that day outside the, the movie theater, it was it was Beatlemania all over again. All these these huge crowds of people screaming and policemen, and we got pushed and shoved. And but we did see them, and uh, so that was my 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 first, uh, maybe my first and only um, encounter with how, Beatlemania. How
0: tight knit were. the the group of fans who would wait outside of Apple or EMI, like, were they welcoming to you? Well, um, you
1: know, first EMI, and Apple came later. Um, Yeah, yes. Uh, They, you know, um, I don't know, they they weren't very, they didn't really like foreigners very much, and um, they gave the Americans and maybe the Italians and Germans they gave them a hard time sometimes. And I once this one girl punched me in the face and said, go home, what? you nigger. Because obviously, yes, because obviously my skin was darker than, you know, actually, since I arrived in London in February, and that was the height of summer here in Brazil, I was very dark from the beach, you know. And as the months went by, I started losing my tan. And by 69, I was as pale as a you know a a piece of paper but um but in the beginning i was very timed i could see that in the photos Uh, because i used to go to the beach every day i lived one block away from copacabana beach so you know i would come back from school and go straight to the beach so um yeah i guess the girls didn't really like foreigners that much Um, but you know i made some good friends and I still I still have some good friends in England and um, yeah, but um, but I have to say that they were I guess they would prefer it if the Beatles were just theirs, yeah. not just for the English fans. But then, you know, if they weren't known everywhere else, the, nothing like this would have happened. It, it, if it's they it's had, always fascinating
0: to me go ahead. to hear um, all these stories about you know these close encounters with the Beatles. As someone who grew up in an age where you you don't see celebrities without like a small armed militia around them of security guards.
1: Um, oh, there were no there was no security there. How open Zero.
0: were the Beatles with their fans in those days?
1: Oh, they were great. They were very normal. They they would talk to us. They would. You know, they would laugh. They would sign autographs, post for pictures. Uh, we had very funny moments uh, with them outside the studios. Um, I remember one one night they were recording, and we were we were outside, of course, freezing. And Paul comes out and sits with us on the steps and says, "You know, chilly, eh? You know, chilly. <laughs> we we're freezing." And he says, "What are you girls doing?" And you know, we said, "We're waiting for you." But you know, just was hanging out with them with us for a little while. Um, they were very normal, they didn't have any airs or graces about them, they didn't have the pop star attitude at all. They were, you know, they were pretty normal, and of course, you know, like anybody else in the world, some days you, you because they all they came together, the four of them, or they were in the studio together for Sgt. Pepper most of the time, so you would like. Sense that one of them was in, was not in a very good mood. So you would just Mm -hmm. leave him alone, you know, um, not go to, you know, well, maybe that he was tired. He, you know, they could have been tired or, I don't know, just like any, anybody like regular people. And, um, and it was something that was interesting. is like when Paul arrives, we, the, the fans, you know, the John and George and Ringo fans would just step Uh, you know, go back a step and let the pole fans be with him. And the same when the, you know, when the others arrived, I mean, nobody said, let's do that, but that's what we used to do. There's just a
0: kind of understanding.
1: Yeah. You know, like let the pole fans, uh, you know, I remember once we were, we spent weeks and weeks um, at the Soho studios where they were, um, where the editing Mag- magical mystery tour, and it was great because it was a tiny studio, and and because it was in Soho, and you know the neighborhood wasn't that great, they would let us stay inside the building. It's a small building, and um, so we could hear everything they were saying inside the studio, and they could hear us. So we had to keep quiet, and every time they went to the bathroom, they had to pass by us, <laughs> and uh, actually there was one day when one of the one of the technicians there said, gave me some money and said, can you run downstairs and get tea for John and Paul? I said, sure. So I did. And I got out and I knocked on the door. I gave the tea and I handed back the change. And there was one day that Paul, there was, he did that more than once. But the day I was there, Paul said, you know, and there were like three or four of us come in here to see some of the movie. And so we went inside and, and there were these high stools, and I sat on one, and um, and Paul sat beside me. But when I looked at the Paul fans that were there, they gave me such a dirty look that I immediately, because I didn't I didn't realize he was going to sit there, but I immediately you know came off the stool and let them sit near him. And then one of my friends said that while the movie while they were showing the movie, she was like with her elbow, she was going like this to her friend, like you know, isn't it great? And then later on, her friend said, you weren't doing that to me. You were doing it to Paul. (laughs) Oh, boy. But, you know, it was uh, Paul had this thing. He he whenever he read something about Brazil, he would come and tell me he would say, oh, I just read in the paper, you know, there's uh, floods in Rio de Janeiro. I said, oh, okay." And then he would say, well, it's 40 degrees in Rio de Janeiro. And I wasn't very interested, I have to say. And one day he said, don't you miss your mom? Because I was so young, you know. And I would say, no. <laughs> oh boy, my mom is no longer here. She's in, you know, upstairs. And I, I hope she forgives me for saying that. Um, but, you know, both my parents were big fans, you know. they I didn't have any problems. There. They, they were big Beatle fans, both of them. So um, they I had no problem with, you know, some some people, their parents didn't approve of them being Beatle fans, but not in my case. My parents were pretty young. That's another thing. You know, they they were pretty young uh, to have a daughter my age. So I guess that was in. Um, they also they loved music, both of them. So that was uh, that was good for me. and um, And and many things that happened in London. My parents only found out at, in their late 80s when they read my book, because really? I never told them. I never. Of course, that I used to stay out out all night, you know, uh, in the cold, uh, you know, with no food, you know, without without going to the bathroom or, you know, I, they didn't know that they thought I was, you know, uh, because after I, I worked at that hotel and actually that was just about the only time I got fired from a job because the the, the hotel owner said that I wasn't fast enough, you know, with, the, with the bed changing and cleaning bathrooms and stuff like that. And obviously, you know, I had never done it before. So, you know, I, I was learning, but, um, then, then I went to, uh, I went, I went to be an au pair at uh, this family's house for one year. And then I was an au pair at another house for another year. So, um, you know, um, my, I, I don't know. I don't know what they thought because I didn't tell the first family didn't know that I went to see the Beatles. I don't know what they thought of me. You know, I'm, the, here I am 15 years old and I, you know, I do my work and then I disappear and I only come at four in the morning or six in the morning. And uh, I don't know what they thought, but they never asked me anything. So, uh, well, um, I, I kind of want to
0: ask you about something and I don't think I could ask for a, a better transition because I hear all these birds chirping. Uh it oh okay. I, I can, can hear, you hear the birds. Them? Yeah. It's lovely. But
1: Oh yeah, there's there's a lot of but birds out there. I think
0: that's here. the perfect way to, to transition into um asking you about that time that you were on a Beatle record. With with birds chirping on the yeah. Beatle record.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, well that was um they, they, they hardly ever recorded on weekends, but that weekend they did record that Sunday they were recording. So there were only a few of us there. And um, um, we were there. we were talking and by that time Denise had come back again. It was um, you know February it was in Brazil, we used to get three months vacation in the summer at the end of the year. Um, so Denise was back. And uh, we were talking and then Paul came came out uh, and said uh, we weren't, because it was so cold and there was only a few of us, the doorman let us stay inside the building between the front door and the glass doors. EMI was totally different then. So, you know, if you've been there, you're not going to recognize this. It's not like that anymore. So we were there inside the building. And Paul came out and said, can any of you girls hold a high note? And I had always um, been in a school in school choirs. I was a soprano. And so I said, um, I can. I didn't know what it was for. I just said I could. And then he said, okay. And he went back inside. And then the girls started saying, oh, you can't go in. You're not British. So I said, okay, you go in. <laughs> um In the end, I I went in and I and I brought my friend Galen with me. I asked if I could bring her. Um, And uh, there's one thing that Galen, Galen and I do not remember if Paul came back for us or if if it was Mal Evans who came for us, we do not remember. Um, But we went in the studio and they were there. Uh, the four of them, and George Martin, and Mal, and you, and the technician, and his assistant. And one of the first things that Paul said to me was, "Sing in Brazilian," and uh, which I, I to this day I get very mad that I didn't because I've, I've I've always loved Brazilian music, and and our dad always made sure we had the latest records, and you know that we were aware of. Um, the music of our country, that even though we lived in another country, now we lived in we lived in Venezuela, but um, I could have sung many different Bossa Novas for him, but I didn't I was too shy. I had turned 16 already. And and, you know, I guess, you know, the four Beatles and George Martin looking at me, um, I don't know how many teenagers would feel comfortable in that situation or would, you know, I just didn't, I just said, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to sing. So, uh, and then, um, John and Paul started showing us the song, one on the piano and the other on guitar and, and what, what, what point we had to come in and what we had to sing. And then we went to the microphones and, uh, Paul asked Mal Evans to get microphones for us, for me and him. Um, and I guess... He must have gotten them for gaming. And, and um, well, I don't know. I, I don't remember now. I, I, all I know is Paul asked Mal to get my uh, microphone, uh, mm-hmm. earphones. And uh, he, he said, Excuse me. I had short hair at the time. He said, Excuse me. And he ran his fingers through my hair to push it back and put the earphones on. And then he took one ear off and said, You have to leave one off so you can hear the sound here in the studio so i said okay and then john asked me to sing with him on his microphone and he showed me he said this microphone is um you know we have to sing there's a like a rectangular sort of um guard right in front of the the of the microphone and he said we the two of us have to sing um here in in, in this space so he said closer and closer twice and So I was standing there and he was, you know, he was here on my right shoulder. Very, very close. And we started singing. Then um, about 15 minutes later, they left for they went out to eat. And that's one funny thing that some people say, oh, Lizzie was very good friends with the Beatles. And I say, very good friends. You have no idea how good friends I was with the Beatles. They went out to, to dinner and left Galing and myself outside in the bitter cold, you know. And didn't nobody invited us monsters. to eat. You know, we were not <laughs> we were not friends. We were fans. We were obviously the the small group that hung outside the studios. We were privileged fans because they knew some of our names and they saw us all the time and we saw them all the time but b- between that and being friends I think there's a or at least I treat my friends yeah. a little better than that so anyway so John said um you're booked for eight o'clock miss and then when he came back it says aren't you coming singer so I trailed after him went in the studios and then we we went back to our you know per, to our positions and and I, you know, and I kept singing uh, with John. Later on, uh, Paul asked me to change and sing with him um, and Gayling. You know, I, I'm, of course, I know Gayling was there and, you know, we're good friends to this day. And we did speak now and again. But I was, I I was just so focused on John. Like, people ask me, what was Ringo doing? What was George doing? I remember George, um, he lit up incense and he was, sitting on the floor playing an Indian instrument Ringo was around I remember him being there but I was you interested in John I just wanted to see him. What... exactly <laughs> so singing with Paul was good first of all he only sings the last Jai Deva. that's the only part he sings and I sang it with him they didn't use my voice though um, but I could we were exactly in front of John so I could see him you know where where I was before, on the microphone with him, you know, shoulder to shoulder, I could not move. You know, if I turned my head, I would kiss him, which obviously was something I very much wanted to been, do. Oh, but, it was uh, an accident. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you know. Um, anyway, uh, so we, you know, I could see John, then, and you know that we recorded many times. We were there for like just over two hours altogether. And uh, we recorded many times, sometimes just gave and myself and um, and they all said it was great. George Martin said it was great. Was that Um, the first time you had
0: interacted
1: with George Martin? Yeah, yeah. Um, So, you know, we they made us feel very at home, you know, comfortable. And there was one good thing since both of us were used to seeing them every day, we weren't you know, we weren't giggling or, you know, being silly. We were just, uh, we were excited to be in there. But I guess if we were, you know, if we didn't behave, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have let us stay in there, you know. So, and we, I mean, of of all the fans, we were part of the, the shy. You know, the, the, there were some girls that were louder and, you know, and they, they had different personalities, but both Gailin and myself were more on the shy side. And I think that was in our advantage at that moment. And, um, yeah, we did sit together at one point because Mal brought tea and biscuits and we were just, we were talking, but I think we behaved pretty pretty well at that moment. Um, and several people asked me about Gailin. And, you know, the thing is Gailin, does not, is not on any social media. And, um, you know, she, when I need to speak to her, I call her on the phone because she's, she's not, um, you know, she's not like me. I mean, I'm all over the place, you know? So, but you know, she's a lovely girl. And we've been friends uh, for all this time. And when I go to, when in 2010, um, I can't believe it's over ten years. Oh my god! Uh, in two thousand and ten, the BBC had been talking to me for like a year. I, I had I'd, I'd even had forgotten about it, and suddenly they write me and say, "Well, we're ready to do the segment with you and Gailin," and they wanted to film a segment for a show called um, "What's the name of the show?" Oh god! It's it's uh it's right after the news at night. Oh, the one show okay. maybe I forgot it.
0: I think it might be. The I one think
1: show. I. I mean, I forgot. Yeah, maybe the one show, um, and so they. I said, yeah, sure, I'll go. So, but then Galen didn't want to go because she's very private. She every time I say Galen, they want to interview us, and she says, "Oh, you talk, you know, you talk," and you know, I agree, I'll agree. You, you know, she doesn't. She doesn't want to do anything. She, it's it's the you know, the way she is, and um, and I said to her. Gaelin, you know we're getting old. P- people need to know that we exist, and people need to know our face. And you know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna fly to London and be on this show. I-, I hope you can you can do it. But um, but she didn't want. She didn't want. She didn't want. And and the the producers going on and on at me, saying, Dizzy, please help us. Try and you know try and get Galen to come too. And then in the end, it was her husband who who you know. Uh, convinced her to do it, and it was a lot of fun. I'm, I don't know if you've seen this segment; it's uh, it's on YouTube. Um, it's it was it was four minutes, which may not seem like a lot, but four minutes on television yeah. is is quite a bit. And and we we spent hours filming, and uh, it was lovely. And then all of our friends, a lot of our friends from those days came to the ones that don't live in london they came to london and and we all hung out together and then we, we went out to dinner and wow. then and then we walked all the way from from a, a, to, to paul's house and we passed by you know his house and i kept thinking wow it, you, can you imagine if he opens the door for some reason and sees us all there and the ones that he knew as teenagers and, you speaking know speaking
0: of that um have you seen any of the uh-huh. beatles since those days like
1: yeah 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 not john i never um i went i was in new york city on vacation in the summer of 80 and um i have a very dear friend tommy who passed away many years ago who he was a dj so he found out that john was recording and i don't even think it it had been um in the papers yet and he said to me, Lizzie, let's go to the studio so you can see John. But I didn't want to because I just felt guilty of having waited, you know, so many, for so long, waited for him. I went to his house several times and I just thought, you know, I don't want to bother him again. Um, which now I think it's, it was, it was stupid of me. I didn't, I didn't wait outside the Dakota. I didn't go to the studios and I could have seen him. Um... And and then I met several girls afterwards. I met several girls that used to hang out outside the Dakota, and they said, "Lizzie, he would have loved to see you again." I had my eight-year-old daughter with me. She's going to be fifty this year, when she was with me, and uh, he said, "They said, oh, he would have loved to see you. He'd have loved to meet your daughter." And um, but you know. I don't know what happened to me. I left some gifts, though. I left some gifts at the Dakota. And then I went back there to find out if he had gotten the gifts. And one of his assistants came talk to me. And he said he saw my gifts. Because they were very specific gifts, you know, from the Brazilian Indians. And I brought some stuff for Sean's bedroom, you know, decorations. And so he said, oh, no, it's, uh, you know, it's on his desk. It's there. So at least I know he got my gifts and I wrote a funny letter and I included some pictures of him and some Brazilian records. And actually, recently, Sean uh, mentioned that he found some Brazilian records among his dad's things and he was listening to them. And, and, and I kept thinking, well, you know, unless John went out and bought Brazilian records, and that's probably the ones I gave him. And I gave him, I gave him one in 67 when I got there and he said he liked it. It was it was, it, it was a very good band playing the Beatles songs in samba. You know, it's called Sam Beatles, and he said he liked it. And it's actually a I'll really try good and have record, to find this record. But anyway, but, I'll try and have to find I'm sorry? this record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's on it's on YouTube, I believe. Um, and then uh, but that that was John. Uh, I saw I saw Ringo, I, you know, I worked in the music business for many years. So I met, I met a lot of, you know, major pop stars and many of them, several of them are good friends with the Beatles. But I never said anything about, you know, about me because I was working. You know, I didn't think it was appropriate to talk about me personally since I was there uh, working with, uh, you know, famous Brazilian artists. But I guess when my English book comes out and I mail a book to, for each one of these people, their jaws are going to drop How come we saw her so many times and she never said anything? Uh, But anyway, um, I saw Ringo. I was at the Grammys with uh, my then boss, uh, Milton Nascimento, who's a major Brazilian artist and a very good close friend. Um, We were at the Grammys, and the two of us, we we were standing, and Ringo was right beside us talking to someone else. So, you know, when he finished talking, I just, for one minute, I, I just said, hi, Ringo. Um, you know, my name is Lizzie, and I'm from Brazil, and I'm very glad to see you. Whatever, just a very brief, very brief. Uh, I said to myself, I might not, you know, maybe I'll never see this guy again. So I just have to say hi. That was Ringo. And then George, I, I was invited when he did that concert in at the Albert Hall, his uh, solo concert for the Maharishi's. Um, the Maharishi had a... a, a, a oh the natural political party. party yeah exactly um i got invited by the producers to go to this concert so i flew from new york with a friend and we we went to the concert we had a box beside the beetle family all the beetle children were there and um and after the show we, there was a backstage like get together cocktail and um i know they had a like a bigger you know party later on for just the you know, the real friends. But this was a, a a cocktail party. And then George came out and came out. He had just come off the stage. And, and I know the same thing. I said, hi, George. I'm, you know, we're both from Brazil. We love the show. Thank you. And but like two minutes and shake hands and that's it. But Paul, I saw Paul. Um, I saw him many times as a photographer because the the um, Brazilian EMI would often hire me to take pictures of him and send back to them. So they would give me the, these passes. and But I never spoke to him in any of those occasions, as always. I was always just uh, working as a photographer. And, you know, I don't know how it is now, but in those days you could you only you could only shoot uh, for the first three songs. So you had to focus on, you know, or, or, or if it was a, a press conference, you had just a limited amount of time that you could take pictures. So I never spoke to him, but I went in um, on February 14th, 1990. I remember the February 14th because remember, I saw him for the first time in February 14th in 1967. I went to I was I was uh, hired as a photographer to go with a Brazilian journalist. They were having a, a press conference for Brazilian Uh, journalist because Paul was coming to play here for the first time at Maracanã Stadium. Um, And so I I was hired as a photographer. It was in in Indianapolis, Indiana. And uh, when I got that, we 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 went um, into this van and we went backstage at the venue. He was he was doing the soundcheck so we could listen to to him and the band for quite a while. And then he came into this room. Before we entered the room, Fiona, who was his assistant at the time, said to me, Lizzie, we're not allowing photographers, our photographer is going to take pictures and send them to the Brazilian um, um, to Brazilian EMI. But since I know you, you can give me your cameras. I'll keep them here and you can listen to the interview. And I said, sure. So I sat there. I didn't sit at the main table, where, the round table where the where the where Paul sat with the journalists. I sat, at, you know, on a chair beside it. And then at the end, um, he stood up and he shook everybody's hand. And when he got to me, there's a picture of that moment in my book, which the record company gave me. Um, when he gets to me, he shakes my hand and says, why do I remember you? And I said, because I sang with you on the same microphone. And, um, so he put his hand on his head and said, yes, you were Abbey Road and uh, the studios. And I said, yeah, so we we spoke briefly and believe it or not, I have that co- brief conversation on, on tape because I was taping the I was taping the press conference with my cassette tape recorder at the time and I forgot to turn it off when it was over. So I have this brief conversation with Paul on tape. Um, and then he sa- I said, you know, I live, in, I live in New York, I have a, a daughter, and I'm, I've, I've been a backing vocalist for many artists in Brazil. And he said something to the sort of, oh, you see, it was good starting with us, something, I don't remember the exact words, but something like that. And he said, are you coming to Brazil for my concert, to Rio? And I said, sure. And he said, and those are the last words I ever heard from Paul McCartney, I'll see you there because since then february of 1990 i've been trying to speak to him and absolutely nobody lets me anywhere near him so i have of course given up years ago i just go to the concerts i get invited you know the producers always invite me but um i gave up on trying to talk to him because it's impossible so but you know i i have little good things like a friend of my late ex-husband Saw him in São Paulo um, by accident, and she—he was reading. He was asking her what her her tattoos said, and um, and uh, the interpreter was telling her. So there were a couple of seconds of silence, and then she said, um, "I'm a friend of Lizzie's," and he said, "Oh, what a coincidence! Um, Lizzie, my Brazilian friend." And when she called me on you know on the cell phone after, right afterwards. Um he said, oh, what a coincidence. She's your friend. She's my friend. And then she told me, you know, that Paul called me a friend. I made her repeat it. I don't know how many times. Because I said, are you sure he called me a friend? She said, yes, I'm sure. And I said, but are you really sure? And she said, and, you know, it warmed my heart to think that, you know, that Paul McCartney thought of me as a friend. He probably um, still does. And, uh well, you know, I'm, I, and the other thing is, um, my friend who's a producer who's been bringing him all these times to Brazil, she gave him my book and um, and she saw him look through the book and, you know, smile because there's so many pictures of him he had never seen before. Um, and, uh, you know, he just uh, leaf through the book. I, I wrote a, a handwritten note for him, which she said he got because it was inside the book where I thanked him. For being so nice to me all those all, in those times that I was in London because I was alone it was easy being alone you know birthdays alone Christmas is alone everything alone um and it wasn't it was not like today where you can pick up you know your phone and call somebody and it wasn't like that I, you know I, it was it was lonely it was quite lonely and, and hard I was always broke um anyway but of course I would do it all over again. And, um, so I'm happy that he got my book. Another friend of mine left my book at the Dakota for Yoko and Sean, and I hope they saw it. i you know, I don't think they would throw it away, but especially because the cover is such a breathtaking picture of John, and there's so many pictures of John inside that they've never seen. I imagine they they kept it. it, it I hope be they on kept a, it
0: a bookshelf at the Dakota somewhere.
1: I know. I hope it is. I hope it is. There's, you know, there's so many stories. There's so many. Um, I mean, I just remembered one story, which is um, I, I was I, I went on the last year um, in 69. I, I enrolled in school and I was going to learn um, English literature and French. But I went to school only when there was nothing happening at the studios, which meant that I hardly ever went to school. So, so um, I, this day I I passed by just to see if there was anything happening. There was nothing happening, nobody there. But I saw Paul Paul often came walking from his home to the studios and he, and sometimes he would go back walking to the studios and many of us, several of us went, walked home with him. I did walk home with him in the middle of the night and um, he was coming and not actually another thing he would in the summer he would come with no shoes. So barefoot. So when I saw the cover of Abbey Road, I didn't think anything of him being barefoot because he liked so you to didn't walk. Think barefoot. He was dead. So uh, Yeah. Oh no, of course not. <laughs> of course not. He was just when I saw the picture I said, well, you know, another day where Paul came with no shoes, you know. That was pretty normal for us. For we'd seen him do that many times. And um, but so he was coming and I waited for him, you know, in front of the studios. And he came by and he put his uh, his base down and, you know, the case. And he picked up my books and and my book and my my notebook and my book. And he was looking through it to see if I was really studying. you know. And uh, I was funny. And then he said, you know, where's Denise? And I said, Denise is in Brazil. And I said, actually, I got it. I got a cassette tape from my friends and and I would like to hear it. But nobody I know has a cassette tape recorder. And because at the time they were like pretty new and expensive. And he said, well, I have one come to the house and I'll lend it to you. So then, you know, next day I would go to his house, ring the bell. The housekeeper opens it. The girls outside were saying, what are you doing, Lizzie? You're ringing the bell. And I said, wait, I'll tell you in a minute. So I walk in and he's standing at the door waiting for me. And I had a magazine about Rio de Janeiro which I gave him. And then I walked inside and uh, he showed me. I went to the the this, I don't know the the house the his house the sitting room is at the back which faces the, the huge garden. Um, so I went in that uh, that in that room with him and he picked up the tape recorder showed me how it works but he told me that the the batteries had you know were were out and he made a little joke i don't remember the wording but like he's only lending me the tape recorder so i buy new batteries something like that but i said i don't worry i'll get i'll get batteries for you and i said okay then when you're done you know just bring it back so i went outside and uh the girls were like crazy what's doing in there and I, I gave each one of them a battery. So, and I said, I just went to pick this up so I can listen to a tape. And um, it shows you, I mean, you know, we're talking, this guy had yeah. released Sergeant Pepper. This guy was extremely famous in, and he's concerned that this little girl couldn't listen to a tape. You know, that's that's how human, normal, you know, quote unquote, they were. Was, you know? was his dog and, Martha
0: there that day?
1: Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure is that. Um, and uh, he had cats and he had a, a Yorkshire Terrier called Eddie. And he had several cats. And there was a time when he had a cat called, G- I think, I believe he, um, his cat, Fisbee had Jesus, Joseph and Mary. And Jesus was a black cat. And I loved that cat. And I played with it outside you now. He would come outside and play. And then I, I came to Brazil in 68 for a few months because my family just kind of forced me to. And when I got back to London, I I couldn't see Jesus. And I said to Paul, you know, where's Jesus? And he said he went out to preach the world. So I guess he just just, uh, went away. You know, the cat just... Just wandered off. um, Didn't come back when... Yeah, wandered off, yeah. But, you know, just to show you how, um, you know how normal they they were and you know paul Paul remembering me after so many years you know and you know um i was you know 17 and then suddenly i'm a grown woman with a child and you know um and he remembered just looking at me that was that was kind of special
0: i want to ask you um so sure. you, you had recorded your your parts on across the universe that, that song was kind of, uh-huh. um, it, it didn't exactly have a straightforward release. Um, when was the no, first time it, you actually it, heard yourself on the Across the Universe? Because that version wasn't on Let It Be.
1: I, I heard myself and Gaylene on the radio at the Kenny Everett show. He really? played it. I, I I never missed the Kenny Everett show. All it right. was fabulous. And uh, and uh, he played it, and then it took a very long time. And, I, and remember, I came back to Brazil in October, late October of 1969. So it took me even longer. And oh, a lot of people asked me if we got paid. And Paul said we were going to get a session fee, but we never got anything. And they, they didn't. I wrote to them to Apple, saying, you know, where can I find this record when it comes out? And they wrote me back, giving me the name of a record store and address. And I said to myself, couldn't they just mail me a copy, me and Gailin, a copy of the album? Uh, nope, <laughs> nope. And actually, my my copy of the album that I got was got stolen along with many other things from my collection. Which is I had all the flexi discs from the Christmas discs from the fan club. They got stolen. The the album, you know the the one that I gave to myself, on got the stolen, world, and wildlife um, the that one. Yes, yeah. Well, wildlife well, fund, yeah. And so, so then years later, a friend of mine bought. A, I don't know where he got it. A, a, um, maybe at a, a, I don't know, a beetle fest or something, and, and he got it for me because uh, it it got stolen. With the first one I had but you know and and then people ask me oh what have you know what changed you know after you recorded nothing changed because in those days the only place where they wrote about it was the beatles book mal wrote a small little thing talking about the recording session that was it so nobody knew about it you know just uh everything was the same nothing changed i mean we weren't treated different or it was you know it took years and years for you know, the story uh, to come out, you know, the, in books and and then, you know, took years. In the beginning, just our close friends and family members knew about it. That Listen, was it.
0: I, I just want to you know, give you the biggest thanks for for coming on the show today. I, I've been I've been really oh, you're very looking welcome. forward to this. And now I can actually say I've had someone who was on a Beatle record on my show.
1: My pleasure. (laughs) My pleasure, Ethan. Uh, I want to say hi to everybody listening. And uh, I hope when this crazy situation we're in ends, that I can travel and, you know, maybe release my book. And, you know, outside of Brazil. And uh, so that's it. Uh, If you want to. Unfortunately, I already have 5,000 friends on Facebook, but you can follow me. And you can also um, go to my fan page uh, where I, what I do in my fan page, I just post, as I said to you before, I post uh, interviews and um, advertise my book and post interviews and things that, places that talk about me. So, So I have everything in one place and if somebody wants to, you know, research or, you know, they can go there, there's a lot of stuff there. And I'm also on Instagram as Lizzie Underline Bravo. Um, yeah, I, I am on Twitter too, but I, I I'm not a Twitter person. I hardly ever go there. But um, I'm on Facebook every day, and um, you know, it's my pleasure talking to people and and sharing my story. It makes me happy that people are interested. Um, so as I said uh, later on today, I have a I have a live. Uh, Q and A with uh, the people in Paraguay, but that you know that's that's going to be you know I have to I have to wash my hair and put some makeup on. <laughs> that that's the
0: good thing um, about my show format so. is, I I look absolutely <laughs> awful and no one can tell. Um,
1: yeah, it's a pleasure talking to you and your friends and the people that listen to your show. Um, I'm always um, happy to share. I, I know that I was very fortunate. Um, it was hard. It wasn't easy to be there. But I know that uh, so many fans, actually, there's one last thing I forgot to say. One day I was waiting for John. He was inside Paul's house. It was night and I was the only one there. And when he came out, he rolled down the window to say goodnight to me. And I looked him in the eye and I said, I love you. And when I read that years later, you know, I mean, to to write the book, my diary, I said to myself, oh, my God, I didn't do that. Please tell me I didn't do that. But I did. And then first I was mortified. And then I said, how many girls uh, at that time would give anything to look into John Lennon's eyes and tell him they loved him? So maybe I was just uh, saying that not just for me, but for all the millions of girls who were in love with him like I was.
0: You were living Um, out like every other girl's fantasy.
1: Yeah. So, you know, instead of thinking, oh, my God, I made a fool out of myself. I, I I like to think about about that specific moment, the other way, saying I was there not just for me, but representing all the other girls who loved him and love him to this day, like I do. So anyway, um, so goodbye and uh, I'll, big I'll hug. I'll put to all everybody.
0: the I'll put all the links to the the fan pages and the or the your your page on Facebook and the Instagram in the description of the episode. And now it's time for my personal least favorite part of the episode the spiel oh god the spiel i haven't given the spiel in a while so let's let's give it a whack let's give it a whirl if you're watching this on youtube which a lot of you seem to do if you haven't already please hit that subscribe button and also ding that bell notification icon so you get notified every time A new episode of the show gets uploaded, and I do post other things from time to time, so you'll get notified when I do those. Maybe even a live stream in the future? Probably not. Everyone's doing them now. Um, If you're wanting to watch this somewhere else, uh, we're available on pretty much all streaming platforms. So your Spotify's, your iTunes, your Apple Podcasts, your PodBay, Podbean, Stitcher, Pod Pod, iHeartRadio, Pod 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 Pod, Pod basically any website that has the word pod in the name, I seem to be there. And of course, you can follow us on on Facebook at Fans on the Run Podcast, on Twitter, Fans on the Run Pod, they wouldn't let me fit podcast, and on Instagram, we're we're Fans on the Run Podcast, and that's where I I post all the fun little graphics I do for the show. And there we go. Oh, and also check out When They Was Fab, the other show that I co-host. I keep forgetting to plug that show, but now I, I plugged it. Okay, sorry, Ed. <laughs> but again, Lizzie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're welcome, Ethan. You take care. You too. And to everyone else listening out at home, I haven't said this in over a month. Thank you. You can go home now. on the Run is produced by
1: Ethan Alexander. Additional voiceovers by Richard Cuff. This has been a Showtown production.